Welcome to the new Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller from WMHT.org. David Allen Miller conducts the Albany Symphony and he provides commentary on the WMHT live broadcast. David's commentary is full of fascinating stories about the music, the performances, and more. In order to keep the program mostly music, some of what he provides ends up on the cutting room floor. This podcast contains no music, but it does contain all of David Allen Miller's commentary from the concert broadcast on WMHT Live. On WMHT-FM, your classical companion. The Conductor's Notes podcast featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert Broadcast is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. Our concert began with the world premiere of a new work by one of the orchestra's four resident composers, Dorothy Chang. Before I say a few words about Dorothy, I should probably just mention this incredible residency we are coming to the end of after three long seasons. It's called a Music Alive Extended Residency, and it's made possible by the League of American Orchestras, our parent organization, and a wonderful composer advocacy organization called Meet the Composer. And what Music Alive Residencies seek to do is to bring composers into communities and have them really spend substantial time, significant time in the communities, working with schools, with the community, with orchestras, and building a very close relationship. We've been very fortunate these three years to have not one or two, but in fact four resident composers, of whom Dorothy Chang is one. And every composer has had different pieces performed and premiered by the symphony, a great number of pieces. One composer has actually had an entire CD made by the symphony over the tenure of his, his three years. And in addition, all four composers have done extensive youth school outreach program in our area schools. Dorothy Chang, this evening's featured composer, actually spent two years in uh, the Postonkill and George Washington Elementary Schools, where she did an amazing, she sort of created an amazing uh, collaborative oratorio or cantata with a group of fourth and fifth graders all about life on the Erie Canal. Anyway, this is the final event in Dorothy's residency, and it is a world premiere, I believe the third we've given during this residency, and it's a work inspired by uh, rather ancient Chinese poetry, Chinese poetry from the Tang Dynasty. The Tang Dynasty was sort of the flowering Renaissance period in Chinese art and culture because the Tang emperors, who reigned from the 6th century for, I don't know, four or 500 years, uh, were extremely enlightened emperors who believed greatly in the power of poetry and art. In fact, I was, I was sort of amused because Dorothy told us she's been reading six or 700 poems of Tang Dynasty poets. Poetry was very much prevalent through the period. In fact, the Tang Dynasties so loved poetry that they insisted that all of their government ministers be accomplished poets. So I've always found it somewhat entertaining to imagine what job interviews must have been like. You know, they would never ask them about any qualifications. They'd just say, read us a poem and Okay, you can have the job. So anyway, uh, Dorothy read a great number of poems by the leading poets of the Tang Dynasty, and then she fashioned three movements. They are called, first, Immortal Winds. It seems that all of these poet cabinet ministers were great wanderers. They would travel from city to city and led from place to place through the night and day along the River of Stars, which was in fact the name of the Milky Way that they gave it. So they would follow the River of Stars, thus the title of the entire piece, Along the River of Stars, and they would go from city to city. So the first movement, Immortal Winds, is really about this idea of traveling and restlessness as uh, exemplified by these traveling poet ministers. 
The second movement, a very still and beautiful Chinese evocation, is called A Thousand Sounds Quieted, a line from a a very still and beautiful reflective poem of the period, uh, all about temple bells ringing and suddenly emptying the world of all sorts of thought and movement. The third movement, rather contrasting, not slow and introspective like the first two movements, is called Bright Moon Soaring. It seems that the uh, leading poet of the era, uh, like many of his colleagues, tended to have a a great love of drink. I felt that drinking alcohol freed his mind and allowed him to communicate more uh, with uh, his poetry and to express more with it. He also uh, tended to have a very close relationship with the moon. He sort of addressed the moon in many of his poems and uh, considered himself a great friend of the moon. And legend has it that that the way he died was actually uh, when he was quite drunk, rowing himself into the middle of a lake and trying to embrace the shadow of the moon in the water, at which point, of course, he fell in and drowned. Uh, So the last movement is called Bright Moon Soaring. I'm afraid it's a rather daunting task I set forth for Dorothy to ask her to write a brand new piece to be the the opener for a concert that includes Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. I think she treated it very wisely in that she simply put aside the idea of writing anything that might in any way refer to Beethoven Ninth, and actually going in quite a different direction and writing a piece that evokes something as far away from the declamatory magnificence of Beethoven's Ninth as possible. So even though Dorothy is an American girl born and raised in Chicago, she's a second-generation Chinese-American and feels a close kinship to her ancestry, uh, she's written, I think, quite a magnificent evocation of, of ancient China, early China, 6th century China, in this new work. Uh, the work, again, is called Along the River of Stars, The three movements are one, immortal winds, two, a thousand sounds quieted, and three, bright moon soaring. The orchestra is the Albany Symphony, conducted by me, David Allen Miller. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org. The second half of our program was taken up entirely by that most magnificent of Beethovenian utterances, his final Ninth Symphony. For this performance, the Albany Symphony was joined by Albany Pro Musica, the brilliant choir, chorus in Albany, led by David Griggs Janauer. It's the second time the orchestra and I have played Beethoven's Ninth with Pro Musica. We did it about five and a half or six years ago at the Catholic Cathedral in downtown Albany. So it was great to be able to do it in a concert hall at the Palace Theater. Uh, The work, as you probably know, is in four movements. It's a monumental work in that even from the very beginning, there's a sense of almost in essence, the world being created in this very strange and brilliant first movement in which there is no theme set out, but it's as if just the sounds, the original sounds of nature are being formed into music. The first movement is sort of this creation of the world idea. The second movement is the most famous scherzo, perhaps, of all of Beethoven's scherzos that has that wonderful timpani, timpani, that great theme that seems to go on and on. The third movement is one of the most beautiful of all adagios in Beethoven. And the fourth movement is the most arresting and original symphonic movement ever having been penned up to this time. As you probably remember, Beethoven was trying to make some very special thing occur. I think perhaps he knew this might be his last symphony. He hadn't written a symphony in about 11 years. The Eighth Symphony was written about 11 and a half or 12 years before the Ninth Symphony. Uh, He wrote the Ninth Symphony in 1823 and 1824, and uh, Beethoven very much wrestled with the finale of the symphony. He wasn't sure whether to make it orchestral or what exactly to do with it. In fact, there were sketches for a finale that was purely instrumental that eventually became the main theme of the finale of his great late A minor string quartet. 
But he had always wanted to set that very famous and important poem of the late 1700s, Friedrich Schiller's poem, An die Freude, to Joy, the Ode to Joy, that had been written in 1785, and really was a sort of um, post-Enlightenment celebration of the idea that all of the world is about the creation of joy, of brotherhood, of happiness, and that if only human beings would love each other and love the world and love themselves, and if all men and women would be brothers and sisters, the world would be a perfect place. With this kind of celebration of humanism, in essence, not denying the existence of God. In fact, it mentions God, but God is kind of a, a humanistic, loving father who looks down at us from above the starry firmament, to paraphrase Schiller. Beethoven was very taken by the poem, and even back in the 1790s had planned to create a sort of oratorio based on it, and there's sketches from that period. He never got around to it at that time, but uh, at a certain point, he decided that he would try to create a choral finale to the symphony. Of course, that had never been done in music history before. Symphonies up to this point were strictly orchestral affairs, four-movement orchestral affairs, so already this was a radical idea. And then Beethoven was faced with a very great challenge. It's funny, we, we think of the greatest composers as not, having, as not having to wrestle with compositional issues the same way our poor living composers, for example, have to wrestle with them. But in fact, composing is composing, and Beethoven had lots of challenges to overcome in creating his works. And in this one, the challenge was, how do you get from the first three purely orchestral movements to this incredible vocal set piece of the poem by Schiller? And he thought about it and worked on it and couldn't quite figure out how to make a transition from the purely orchestral world to this world of voice and of poetry. And then one day, according to his amanuensis, Mr. Schindler, Beethoven came into the room and said, I've got it, I've got it. What he had was the idea that before the chorus launched into the big ode, the baritone would stand up or the bass would stand up and say, now, my friends, let's reject all that we've heard or let's move beyond all that we've heard and rejoice in the beautiful words of Schiller. And well, fortunately, Beethoven dispensed with this idea of rejecting and, and having the, the bass say anything so overt and also rejected the idea of his saying Schiller specifically. But uh, he does, in fact, introduce the idea of the ode uh, with the bass standing up and singing, O Freunde, nicht diese Töne, O my friends, not these sounds. Uh, so what happens is he writes essentially a purely instrumental introduction to the finale, which actually has snippets of each of the first three movements. So you first hear a little bit of the first movement, then you hear yum, eight bars, and between, quite creatively, as only Beethoven could do, he has the basses and the celli, in essence, speak in the voice of the bass singer, but uh, it's as if the bass has not yet found its voice. So after these little snippets, the cellos and basses jump in with bum, bum, ba, ba, bum, bum, ba, ba, da, in this sort of pseudo-restative, spoken, sung idea, not yet having words, but in essence rejecting the ideas put forth in the first three movements and sending us to this wonderful new idea of of celebrating joy, of Freude, uh, and of brotherhood and sisterhood. Finally, when there's a little snippet in the winds of the cellos and basses answer as if to say, look, that's great, let's work with that. And then finally, uh, the tune is unveiled and the, the bass kicks off the entire phenomenally glorious ode to joy in all of its grandeur and glory. So now here is the Albany Symphony's performance of Beethoven's Symphony No. 9, including the Ode to Joy. It's performed in collaboration with uh, Albany's own brilliant chorus, Albany Pro Musica, David Griggs Janauer, conductor and artistic director. 
The soloists are Lauren Skuse, soprano, Lucille Beer, mezzo-soprano, Scott Ramsey, tenor, and Matthew Burns, bass baritone. The orchestra is conducted by me, David Allen Miller. The Conductor's Notes podcast, featuring David Allen Miller's commentary for the Albany Symphony Concert broadcast, is made possible in part by a grant from the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music, supporting nonprofit organizations that have a history of substantial commitment to contemporary music. This is the Conductor's Notes podcast, only from WMHT-FM, your classical companion, and WMHT.org.